Seismic shifts have hit our society, leaving people unmoored from truth and unsettled in their faith. The question asked by David in Psalm 11.3 resonates among many today. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In our present cultural environment, it's imperative for followers of Christ to be convictional, courageous, and compassionate. We must know what we believe, why we believe it, and how we can communicate it to others. In short, we must be unshaken in our faith, Psalm 62.2, and unashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. Grounded in truth and lived out in God's grace, our faith in Christ will change our own lives and ultimately help transform a broken world. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street. And when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. Listen now to part two of a message called, Why Worldview Matters. Number four, offer your body on God's altar. Paul urges believers to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That word present, that's a technical term. It takes us back to the Old Testament. It was used to describe the giving, the offering of an animal for sacrifice on an altar. It means to offer once and for all. It means to relinquish one's grip. So in the Old Testament, a live animal was brought to the priest. The owner would lay hands on the beast to symbolically say, this animal is taking my place. That animal was then slaughtered. The blood was sprinkled upon the altar and in some cases upon the people and the sacrifice was burned completely. A significant feature of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, according to Leviticus 6.12, is this. The fire upon the altar was kept constantly burning and never allowed to die out. So every morning, the officiating priest would take fresh wood and lay it on the fire of the altar before he presented the burnt offering To God, he laid wood on the altar to present the offering to God. Hold on to that thought. We'll come back to it. This idea of a living sacrifice must have been a novel idea for the Jews of that day. This was something they had not heard of before, except perhaps when Abraham offered Isaac on the altar, and Isaac was then a living sacrifice See, they were used to offering an animal to be killed, and once a sacrifice was offered to God, you couldn't take it back. Oh, so watch this. When we're called to present our bodies to the Lord, we're exhorted to offer our total being to him, not just bits and pieces. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The word body refers to the totality of our entire being, our entire life, all of our activities. David Gusick writes, the thinking of our age says that our body must tell the will what to do. The Bible says that our will must bring the body as a living sacrifice to God. Let me just pause there to say for some of us, our body runs our life. Our desire, our feelings, our lust, whatever we want, we just follow it. And he ends by saying this, the body is a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. 
A pig and a chicken were walking down the road together and they came upon a sign advertising a breakfast fundraiser. The chicken said to the pig, we should donate to that worthy cause. How about if I give an egg and you provide the ham? (laughs) To which the pig replied, not so fast, buddy. For you, that's just a contribution. For me, that's total commitment. And let me just apply it. For some of us, we just give little contributions to God. Throw a couple bucks in the offering box. Hear a need for servants and, okay, I'll do it one time as long as it's short and I don't miss the other stuff I want to do. Most of us kind of live our Christian life like that. We make contributions here or there. When God is calling us for total commitment, you see, he doesn't want just to be part of our lives, our weekend lives, our Sunday morning lives, or Saturday night lives. He wants us to be completely committed to him. He's not interested in beasts today. He's looking for bodies of believers right here in this room or engaging online who will be sold out to him. The problem, as someone has said, is that with living sacrifices, they keep crawling off the altar. (laughs) Paul continues by saying, the offering of our life is to be holy and acceptable to God. Sacrifices were to be without blemish or defect. People were to bring their firstborn, the best, not the leftovers. And when we do, it will be pleasing or agreeable to him. Leviticus 1.9, the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so the idea of a sweet aroma to the Lord is almost always linked to the idea of an offering made by fire. This offering is our spiritual worship. The word spiritual can be translated as reasonable. The word worship is sometimes rendered as service. So... Worship is not just something we do. It's certainly not just something we watch. No. True worship is the presenting of our bodies as living sacrifices to him, as we serve him every day of the week. Well, let me add, we should never say something like this on our way home. I didn't get anything out of worship today. Here's why. Because true worship is not about getting. It's about giving. It's about giving myself to God as a living sacrifice. Number five, resist conformity to the world. So verse one calls for this decisive commitment to fully surrender. Verse two tells us how we can maintain that commitment by renewing our mind and not following the fashion and pattern of the world. Do not be conformed to this world. The tense of this verse indicates we need to stop conforming, meaning that's our default. That's what we will do. We will conform, or better, some of us are conforming or have conformed to the world right now. That word conformed is where we get scheme from. Sometimes translated as fashion, Paul is urging us to stop being pushed into the fashion of the world. Now, the world refers to the world system or popular 
culture which is in rebellion to God. Think of all the ways we're bombarded with unbiblical worldviews. I'll list some. You can think of others, but entertainment, celebrities. Today, there's influencers, music, social media, the internet, News, politics, education, all of them in different ways can lead to seductively drawing us in. And sometimes we are so conformed to the world, we don't even know it. On top of that, there's little or no noticeable difference between how a Christian lives and how a non-Christian lives. And so a conformist is afraid to be different and feels a need to be like everyone else. A Christian is not supposed to be a chameleon. Exodus 23.2, you shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Titus 2.12, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. 1 Peter 1.4, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. James 4.4, states it bluntly. Friendship with the world is enmity or hatred to God. Some of you right now are facing incredible temptations. I don't mean to just look over at our students. Can you imagine, those of us who are older, how hard it is today? Can you imagine the temptations they are faced with? in their classes, from their friends, from social media. The temptation to cave on their faith, to give in to impurity, to to get inculcated by all that is swimming around them. And students, we're with you. Press on and stay strong. And some of us, even though we're not younger, we're dealing with it as well. There could be temptations happening right now in your life. They're in your mind. They're in your heart. It might be lust. It might be a thought that you're wanting to do something else. You might be far away in your mind right now. Some of us have internalized the world's values and fashion so much, we don't even recognize it anymore. We've all heard the modern-day parable of the frog in the kettle. If you drop a frog into a pot of boiling water, it will immediately jump out, alert to the danger. However, if you drop that same frog into a pot of warm water and slowly turn up the heat, it will comfortably soak in the pot until it eventually boils to death. When conditions change gradually, the frog is deceived by the slow incremental rise in temperature. And like the frog, all of us are susceptible to the dulling of our senses. That which used to bother us and triggered our conscience no longer does. We're dulled by it. We're deceived. Now, it's easy to blame the decadence in our culture. And certainly there's a lot going on. But one author suggests the water in which the frog is cooking is our own spiritual apathy, our missional indifference, our prayerless irrelevance. 
In essence, the frog stands in danger of boiling in its own water. And just as Jesus warned some of the churches in Revelation about their precarious spiritual condition, so too we must recognize, this author writes, our own need to take responsibility for the situation. Friends, what you believe about God's word will determine how you view, how you look at the world around you. And if your worldview does not come from God's word, it will come from the world. Number six, receive transformation from the word. The negative command calls us not to be conformed to the world. The positive command is be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That refers to an inner change. I like how J.B. Phillips translates Romans 12 too. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold but let God remold your minds from within. The verb tense indicates we're to keep on being transformed. We can't say, okay, I'm transformed today. I'm good to go. I'm just going to coast. doesn't work that way. We get the word metamorphosis from this Greek word. A metamorphosis is not something we can do on our own. It refers to a deep inner change, a total change from the inside out. At its core, it involves a change in form, like when Jesus was transfigured, Matthew 17, 2, and he was transfigured before them, them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Let me say it as clearly as I can. If you are not intentionally being transformed by God's word, you will be conformed to the world. Not might be, not maybe, you will be. Well, you ask, well, how does this transformation take place? Well, that's the walk of discipleship the walk of obedience. But let me suggest the first place to start is to regularly gaze on God and his greatness and his glory. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we read this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being, okay, listen for the word. It's the same word used in Romans 12.2, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. For some of us, we have God really small in our lives. We need to see God as great and glorious, mighty and majestic, holy and honorable. We need to worship God for who he is. I can't wait for the Faith and Reason seminar on Saturday morning with Rick, and I attended the first part of that seminar several weeks ago. Uh, There was a conference here in the Quad Cities. I only caught the first hour. But Rick went through, I think he called it seven systems within the human body. And he was describing the circulatory system. And then the intricacies of the human eye. He was pointing to God as the creator and designer. And then he took us heavenward. We considered the galaxies and all the planets. And then he took us to human DNA. And I got goosebumps. And I worshiped right there. And then I had a second thought. I can't wait to witness 
See, when we see God for who he is, it causes us to worship. It transforms us, and then we want to tell others about him. Number seven, adjust your will to God's will. Notice the last part of verse two, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, some of us want to know, God, what's your will for, your, for my life? But we've never sacrificed our bodies to him. We're not living for him, but we want to know his will. But when we wonder what God's will is for our life, the first place to start is right here by living out Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me say it like this. Until you offer him your body, your mind, and your will, you will not understand his good, pleasing, and perfect will, and you won't have a godly worldview. A biblical worldview is a view of the world which seeks to answer life's biggest questions from the Bible. Brett McCracken put together a list of some ways a Christian worldview is totally counter-cultural. Let me go through part of this list. In a believe-in-yourself world, Christianity calls you to deny yourself and take up your cross. In a you-do-you world, which emphasizes expressive individualism, authenticity, and nonconformity, Christianity is about conforming to the likeness of Jesus and being imitators of God. In a consumerist and greedy culture, Christianity calls you to costly generosity and a willingness to give up material possessions. In a self-oriented world of self-promotion, self-help, and selfies, Christianity calls you to be others-focused in your service to them. In a world which says you should be free to do with your body whatever you wish, the Bible says to glorify God with your body. And in a sexually progressive culture which sanctions pretty much anything, Christianity says sex is intended for the union of one man and one woman within the context of the covenant of marriage. In a world which has normalized the discarding of unborn lives and the dehumanizing of people, Christianity insists that all humans bear the image of God and are therefore worthy of dignity and protection. Several hundred of us participated in the Walk for Life yesterday. It was down at the Ben Butterworth Parkway right next to the Mississippi River. And one of the guys who walked is Corey McAnally. Many of you know Corey. Corey has Down syndrome. Uh, He attends on Saturday night with his mom, uh, Ruth. Corey raised $3,300 for the Walk for Life. As far as I know, the top person in that. Uh, Some of you know, many of you know Claire uh, and Todd Mortensen. Uh, Claire was just burdened, like, what can I do to support the Walk for Life? And so she had a garage sale, like a yard sale, and collected a lot of items. She raised $750 for pregnancy resources through that. Now, I tell you those examples. What motivates those people to do that? I'll tell you what it is. It's a Christian worldview, See, it's not enough just to say this is what I believe. It must affect how we behave, how we live, what we do, what we don't do. 
McCracken ends by saying this, in a pluralistic world with a diversity of beliefs in which all roads lead to heaven, Christianity calls you to believe there is only one path to heaven, and that's trusting in Jesus Christ alone. That list could be much longer. So when I came to Christ in college, I met somebody named Tom. Tom had come to Christ in high school. He was at University of Wisconsin. He now has kids. His 20-something daughter posted these words. I have her permission to share. Remember, she's 20-something. Quote, the older I get, the greater desire I have to do things God's way. The things in this world seem to get more depraved and disheartening every day. Why would I want that? The importance of what I fill my mind with has been weighing on me recently. What you consume will consume you for better or for worse. That's a 20-something. In our growth group on Wednesday night, Rick Waddell said it succinctly. If you just skim on the surface, so if you're a Christ follower and you're really not reading your Bible, you're not praying, your attendance on weekends is spotty, you're just kind of skimming along. He said this, if you just skim on the surface, you will default to a worldly worldview. It's only when you go deep that you discover a biblical worldview. Friends, the Bible gives us all the answers we need. Where do we come from? We are created by God. Who are we? God made us in his image as male or female. What is our purpose? God created us to know and follow him as we fill the earth and reign over it as responsible stewards for his glory. What is our core problem? We are sinners who fall short of God's glory because we pridefully resist his authority. How is this problem solved? Jesus died as the final sacrifice for sin. He rose from the dead on the third day. When we turn from our self-centered ways and trust and give our allegiance to Jesus, the Messiah, as our Savior, Lord, and King, we will be saved. How should we live we should live according to the way Jesus the way of Jesus the Messiah which can be summarized by Jesus himself love God with all you have and love people what happens when we die well if you're born again you will go to be with the Lord forever in heaven or you will live apart from him in hell for eternity General William Booth the founder of the Salvation Army was once asked to reveal the secret of his success He didn't really even like the question because he didn't really find himself all that successful. So he hesitated. Tears came to his eyes and he gave this answer, quote, okay, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities, But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and I caught a vision of what Jesus could do with them, I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth. Does Jesus have all of you? No, like really. Like all. You see, he is Lord which means everything is under his lordship. Everything we have, everything we are belongs to him. If you ever given, you're all completely to him. 
I love what Andrew Murray said in this regard. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. God is ready. Are you? We need to crawl up on the altar, if we will, and offer our bodies as living sacrifice because Jesus went up on the cross as final sacrifice for us. Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to listen to this message again, you can now download episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts by going to edgewoodbaptist.net. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams, and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.